Hi, this is Charlie Peck with Thriving Educator, the podcast that talks about how we can improve school mental health. And we are doing a bullying series. We have Jennifer Hartman on today. Listen, you've got great views, Jennifer. I'm I'm really excited to talk with you about this. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And it's funny because when we do intros here, I don't, I don't capture all of who you are enough. And so I really want to do that with you. I don't typically do that well. And so I know you are working with middle schoolers and I know you're an assistant principal, but there's more to you. You have a history you brought into this role. Can you give a little background here? Sure. Um, I actually kind of came into education as an accident. Um, my plan was to be a dentist, you know, what normal high schooler volunteers with their dentist on Saturday mornings and um, found out as an 18 year old at University of Illinois doing my like intro to college sign up for your first classes meeting. I was like two years behind in math. I wouldn't have been able to do any of the prerequisites necessary. And just on the spot as like an 18 year old who knew nothing changed my major to history. Um, first couple weeks in the dorm, I met a girl who um, wanted to do this volunteer project, but was essentially too scared and timid to go to the meeting on her own. So I agreed to schlep with her, ended up uh, volunteering at the on-campus daycare preschool. Um, and it just sort of happened that I, you know, got into secondary education, you know, got my first job in the south suburbs of Chicago teaching sixth and seventh grade. Um, moved on from there to be a founding teacher at a charter school in Chicago, um, which was the 6th through 12th campus, which was super exciting and actually rejuvenated my career because we got to build a school from scratch. Wow. And that was really fun. Um, from there, um, I moved on to another school kind of by Midway Airport while I was working on my um, administrative certificate. Got my first assistant principal job in Flossmoor, Illinois. Um, I was an assistant principal at the middle school there, then at the high school in Kankakee for two years, and now I'm in Lansing. Hmm. I'm glad you actually went to the high school level too, because you see what they're transitioning into. That's a great lens to have, isn't it? Yeah. And honestly, that's, um, I, I'm also, um, I just started working on my doctorate. And one of the things that has always interested me through my career, just because of the grades I've taught and where I've been is transition years. So the idea of transitioning into school at kindergarten, the idea of transitioning from elementary to middle school, from eighth grade to ninth grade, from, you know, 12th grade into life. That's something that's always really interested me because there's such pivotal times, um, to get those important interventions so that you're successful in the next phase. Yeah, that it is. It's it's not always done well, but when it is done well, it does make a big impact. I've seen it myself. All right. So we're going to talk about the obsession that we're having with bullying, as I heard you mention, and you spoke so well about that before we recorded. So can you explain, first of all, what the meaning of bullying actually is? Sure. So in my mind, bullying is something that um, is purposeful. So it is kind of a purposeful power dynamic change where someone is targeting someone for personal gain. Um, being rude is is not bullying. You know, if you're in a store and somebody rams into you with the cart and it's like, Ugh, get out of my way, that's a one-time thing. That, that was rude. It was inconvenient. It wasn't nice. It wasn't empathetic, but that's not bullying. Now, if you're in your workplace and somebody is always, you know, disparaging your work or sending undermining emails or doing things like that, that's targeting you for a specific gain, that's the difference. Um, I was getting ready last night and I read this interesting article, and I can send you the links to all of these later, but um, it was about essentially there has always been bullying in every single human society since recorded history. 
Mm -hmm. And there's sort of these two categories, right? There's the one that we talk about most in schools, which is the kid with, you know, low self-esteem who's targeting another kid. So nobody hurries up and targets them. And there's this power dynamic of like, I'm going to steal your lunch money, or I'm going to spread rumors about you, that sort of thing. But that's actually a minority of bullying. Most bullying occurs um, because there is an advantage to it. Um, so if you watch the news, look at the way that our Congress people are talking to each other. What is the advantage that they are getting out of that? Um, look at the way that um, people are treating one another. What's the advantage to that? Um, I think a lot about, you know, like Yelp reviews, right? Like people very infrequently write them when they're happy. They will write them when they're upset. Um, mm -hmm. I just had in our town's Facebook group, somebody asked for a recommendation for a, a mason for their chimney. And I happen to have one. And they responded to me and they're like, they have really negative reviews. Like, do you have personal experience with them? And I was like, keep in mind, masonry and chimneys are very expensive. And if you are the one giving the person the bad news of, hey, this is going to cost you $5,000, you didn't do X, Y, and Z, and you're getting a message that isn't nice, right? You mm -hmm. might lash out. It's, it's not that person's fault. Um, but bullying has an advantage to the person who is doing it. And I think where we go wrong in talking about bullying is we focus so much on the retribution, the punishment. You bullied my kid, so X needs to happen to this kid. But really what we need to be talking about is removing the societal advantages that lead to bullying being successful in the first place. So if we emphasize the advantages to being kind, the advantages to being empathetic, the advantages to helping others, and we decrease the societal advantages of people who are not doing that, um, I think that you see a real empowerment of kids who have been, you know, frequently bullied. Um, I think that's an important piece of it that we're missing. Um, I think we've gone way too far in talking about bullying. And it's almost like, you know, when we do our school safety drills and, you know, we talk about, well, how much should we review with the kids, right? Because if the kids know exactly what our plan is and one of them wants to come back and harm us, hmm. um, you know, what should, should we reveal our whole plan? <laughs> you know? So right. I, I think, I think it's kind of, you know, similar if, if we're repeatedly telling kids over and over and over from kindergarten, this is bullying and this is bullying. Aren't we kind of teaching them how to do it? Hmm. Instead, point. Of, instead of emphasizing, this yeah. is what a friend does. This is how you, this is how you help someone. This is how you speak to someone kindly. This is how you support someone. This is how you stand up for someone. Instead of teaching them those skills, we're so busy teaching them about the flip side of it that I don't think we're doing the kids any favors. Okay. So you're seeing them in sixth grade. I mean, you're the assistant principal for sixth grade specifically. So that's an interesting transition time too. What are you then seeing? Like, what do you keep hearing then? Um, well, <laughs> the number one problem I get with kids who are not getting along is it really, it comes down to friendship. Um, I don't think that we are explicitly teaching kids how to be good friends. And a lot of what kids will define as bullying is a misunderstanding. Um, kids will come into my office. So-and-so is bullying me. They're always saying this and it bothers me. And the first question I ask is, have you asked them to stop? Have you told them to right. stop? No, he should know it's wrong. Hmm. How, how should he know? Is he a mind reader? Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, maybe there are certain things like, you know, racial slurs and, and horrible things. Maybe you should know. But like, unfortunately, we're dealing with a lot of kids who that's how they, quote, talk to their friends. So if you haven't told them that you don't like it and they think that they're your friend, how why would they know to stop? Now, if you mm -hmm. ask them to stop, if you tell them how it makes you feel 
and they continue. Now, now they've shown you that they don't respect your feelings. Now we converge into the teasing and bullying area. Area, But expecting people to know what should or should not bother you is a big problem I see with kids. Um, naivete is another big problem I see with kids. Um, well, so-and-so told me you said this about me, so I have to confront you about it. And the other kid never did say it, so now they're confused and on the defensive. And now we have this argument that didn't need to happen. Mm, um, yeah. I see a lot of that naivete. And um, I mean, you, you don't want to like blame parents. <laughs> But um, my students are in sixth grade, they're 11. They are not allowed per the terms of service agreements to have Instagram accounts or TikTok accounts. And they all have them. Hmm. That's, a, that's a parenting yeah, problem. It drives me nuts. It that, does that, drive me nuts. I mean, that's a, that's a parenting problem. Um, it's also a parenting problem if you've allowed your children to have these things and you're not taking their device from them at say seven or eight at night and you're going to bed and they're up all night, all night on the social media, in the group chats, on the discord chats, on the WhatsApp chats. And they come to school in the morning, completely exhausted, crabby and ramped up. And then we see the effects at school. Um, and I, I can't speak to it. I'm, I'm not a parent. I'm sure it's the hardest job in the world. And I'm sure it's really difficult to not give your kid a phone or to tell your kid that you can't do it. But I will say that over the thousands of kids that I have taught in the cell phone era, like my first year of teaching was the first year we really started seeing phones coming into schools in middle schoolers' hands, not just high schoolers. Hmm. And I will say the happiest kids are the ones without them. So, I mean, what matters more? Do you want your kid to have the phone and the social media accounts, or do you want them to be happy? Yeah, there's so much evidence to show just so many pieces. And I have the conversation with my eighth grader all the time because we do really limit everything he does on it. And he doesn't, he's not allowed to have social media, but he doesn't want it because he knows what goes on there. So some kids are reflective and they've seen it and they don't want to be a part of that world. His friend group doesn't really do that at, as long as, you know, as, as much as I know, but limiting it, I think people, I think parents have a hard time doing that, they get a little scared of their kids or they worry that it's going to cause conflict or whatever. But I love, Jennifer, I love talking to people who actually don't have kids about this because you do have a different perspective. So I appreciate that. So let's dive into that a little bit more with the social media and how it affects kids at school as far as um, what's showing up there that we're obsessing over, that we're calling bullying, that's not bullying, that could be, that could be mitigated at home. Well, I will say um, the social media is huge. Um, I mean, I, I was a kid, right? Like I hid stuff from my parents. I had like, you know, separate stuff that my parents didn't know about or that stuff that I didn't tell my parents about. I feel like the cell phone world has just made it so much easier for kids to hide it. Like when I was growing up, there was like two kinds of kids whose who's parents, right? The lax parents and the parents who weren't. Um, the parents who were not lax, like my parents, you weren't allowed to have your bedroom door closed and locked. You didn't have a TV of your own in your bedroom. You didn't have a phone of your own in the bedroom. You had to talk, uh, you know, in the kitchen to the phone where your parents could hear what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, right. This, I, I tell my parents uh, at the school all the time, this is the new locked bedroom door. You give it to your kid or you don't. But, you know, even if you allow your child that locked bedroom door, are you going through their drawers occasionally to see what's in there? Um, are, and, and it really comes down to modeling too. Like um, the kids that I see in the middle school have parents who were raised on social media. So yeah. are you mm -hmm. having conversations with your kids about, you know, what is reality versus not? Um, I tell my students all the time, 
I was in seventh grade when the internet was invented. Okay. We would go into chat rooms and, you know, people would chat with you and we automatically were like, you're lying. You're not a 16 year old. You're lying. You don't go to my school. We assumed that they, that they could just be telling us anything somewhere that's shifted. I feel like our students believe it automatically and trying to disprove it is so hard. And that's where we fall in school. Kids will come in with these screenshots. He said this about me. She said this about me. And now they're distracted all day. And now they want to fight in the bathroom. And now they want to fight in the lunchroom or they're going to the library after school and they're fighting there. And, you know, when the assumption of positive intent seems fully gone from these students, like they'll, they'll accost somebody in the lunchroom. Did you say this about me? Well, if the kid didn't, now they're really confused. And they're like, no, I didn't. Like, I'm your friend. I, I've been your friend since third, third grade. Why would I say that about you? The kid automatically believes that they're lying because somebody who they don't even know on social media told them. And, and there's this sort of like disconnect between if you have a connection with me and you call me your friend and I'm telling you I didn't do this and that I don't want to hurt you, you're choosing to not believe me. You're choosing to believe an audience. And I think a lot of our kids are living for an audience as opposed to a true connection. And, you know, I was I was thinking of this the other day. A friend of mine had a baby. And, you know, I, I would love that experience, like, you know, hold your baby in the hospital like the first thing she did was post pictures of the baby. Like, you know what I mean? Like what is important to you having the experience or talking about having had the experience. And, you know, that's the parents that are raising these kids. And, and I don't think that the parents or the kids necessarily have a firm grasp on what matters is the moment, not the perception of others of that moment. Okay. So as a part of a leadership team at your school, then how do you partner with parents so that we can, we can make, we can understand, like help them understand what bullying is, help the kids understand, but more importantly, how to prevent it. If social media is such a part of it and they really are a big part of it. And so are we at schools. How do you partner with them to do that? Well, I think a big piece of it is um, modeling kindness. Um, in our front office, you know, when, when a parent feels their child is bullied, they come in on 10 and um, modeling that kindness and listening, um, listening to their concerns, doing an investigation, even though, you know, you know, I can usually tell, you know, <laughs> like within like the first 10 minutes of, of the parent being upset, like whether or not this is like, you know, a serious situation or whether or not this is, you know, kid stuff. Um, you feel or, like, is it, are you saying it's kind of, it gets, you can tell if it's kind of drama based versus something. Is that what you mean? Can you give me yeah. any indication? Like what are those indications? Well, I would say if your kid is showing you text messages or group chats where someone is disparaging them, have you read the full chat? Do you know what your child said before, during, and after? Um, a, a lot of parents uh, and people in general in our society, they, they feel this sort of like, I should be able to say whatever I want. But then when someone turns it around on me and responds, all of a sudden I'm the victim. There's a lot of that that goes on in these group chats. Um, I would say a great way to really partner to make sure you're monitoring your kid. Number one is, is they shouldn't have a smartphone. If your child is under 16, they should have a good old fashioned, I, it can call 911, it can call my parent. But if you've relented for some reason and you allow them to text and you allow them to have the internet stuff, 
call your phone company and ask for all the notifications to be forwarded to your phone. Mm, that's you good. Can, you can control what notifications your kid does or does not see. And if you see unproductive things, you can remove them from those group chats. You can block those phone numbers. Um, I, the fact that third and fourth graders are walking around giving their phone numbers to complete and total strangers. And then the other problem is then the kids pass those numbers along to people. Now these strangers are texting and putting your kid in group chats. You know, as a parent, control what they see. I mean, the same way you would do, you know, in the 80s with cable, certain channels are blocked or we don't have cable or, you know, we have much less control, um, you know, from above as a, as a society now. Like, unfortunately for parents, that's fallen onto the parents. It used to be, you know, um, none of the cursing shows started until seven. Well, okay, well, now they're on 24 seven. Um, so mm -hmm. you didn't have to worry about that if you got home from work late, right? Yeah. Uh, now you do. Um, a lot of the, you know, like, well, TV turned off at 12 o'clock, right? Or one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning, like the national anthem played and it shut down. Well, now, you know, your kid can be on their phone at three in the morning or on their Xbox live talking to who knows who. So, I mean, you have to proactively control who your kids are talking to. A big problem I see is um, parents don't know who their kids are talking to and they don't know if they're, who they're hanging out with. The concept of the like play date seems like it doesn't exist anymore. Like when I ask parents when they're, you know, coming to me in my office about like, well, you know, who does your child hang out with? Well, I don't know their names. Wow. Really? You're hearing that a lot? A lot. I, I don't know their names. One of their, one of their little friends. Um, oh, in sixth grade? You're I could see that in high school, but dang. But it's like, well, have, do you let their friends come over? No, I don't let people come over. Well, okay, so we're sort of isolating our kids by not letting them do things like go outside and play because we're worried about safety. Um, and we're not allowing kids to come over and we're not allowing our kid to go over to other kids' houses for these play dates. So kids are isolated. So of course they're going to reach out and look for social media. They want some kind of interaction. They want some kind of socialization. And I think, you know, I, when I worked in the city, I saw it a lot, you know, parents who were like, you know, it's too dangerous in our, our neighborhood. Our kid does not go outside. But we supplemented by having our kid on this football team and on this basketball team and in this karate class. And so they're also never home at the neighborhood. So mm. I see a lot of that supplementing anymore. Um it's kind of like people talk about homeschooling your kids, right? The socialization is missing and people always say, okay, we'll join them up for something at the YMCA, join them up for a class. So they're interacting with others, with other kids. We have thousands of kids going to school every day, not really interacting with anybody. Mm -hmm. How are they, gonna, how are they going to build social skills? How are they going to learn how to be empathetic? Um, yeah. When I was growing up, right. So like my cousins and my friends would come over to the house and, you know, my mom would hear us you know, and, and, you know, she would step in if we started saying stuff that was in, she'd be like, we don't talk like that in this house. That's not fair. That's not right. You apologize to each other. And we would see the look on each other's faces and wow, I really hurt her feelings or whatever. And we would learn from that. So if you don't have that going on in your house and you don't have that interaction and you're not learning it, how are you going to learn it? TV, fake reality, Mm -hmm. What about when people push back saying, you know what, that's great information, Jennifer, we get it, but you, you aren't a parent. You don't get what it's like at home. I'm sure people do push back on your opinion that way. What do you say? Um, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> that 
I had a um, parent once really um, upset about something that happened on a bus and he was just like yelling and cursing me out and saying like, you know, like, are you a parent? And, and I'd be like, sir, <laughs> I, I don't think my inability to be able to be blessed enough to have a parent, to be a parent means that I can't help you with your problem. Um, so, so I think that um, sometimes that comment comes from a place of cruelty um, and, uh, sometimes, you know, it's, maybe there's a reason for that. You know, parenting is hard. I see what it's like. I, I, I know what, you know, my own goals are, you know, sometimes you have to do the unselfish thing <laughs> or the selfish thing. And, you know, like if you choose to be a parent, this is what comes with it. Just like if you choose to take, you know, a, a job that, you know, requires you to get up at three in the morning, then that's, that's the choice that you made. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I think there's supports out there. Um, I think that um, the best thing that you can do is, you know, parent and kid classes, right? So like our YMCA in our town has parent and kid events that you can go to together with your kid. Um, knowing what your kid is up to is the most important thing. And I think as a society, we've made surviving financially so difficult that we've taken a lot of that power away from parents and we've put it in community centers. We've put it in schools. And that's fine if we're going to support those institutions with the resources, the staffing and the money they need to do it successfully. Um, so I think that, you know, school counselors usually have like a list of resources for parents. I think being open is the most important support for parents. Like if a school is, is calling you mm -hmm. and they're saying, hey, this is the pattern I'm seeing with your kid. You know, instead of it being defensive about like it's it's a comment on your parenting, like, OK, they're trying to help me. And if I don't get a handle on this now, it can be really bad in the future. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we don't, believe it or not, sit around thinking about, okay, what 25 parents can we call and bother today? Um, no, it, it's about help. You know, we, we get involved in this profession because we want to be around kids. We want to help families. Um, so I think asking, asking for help is a big thing. And if the school is offering you help, being open to taking it is a big thing. That's what I think. I, I agree with you. That's why I think solving this youth mental health crisis or whatever you want to call it, that's been happening in this shift in society. I think schools are key because they do have so many adults positioned around kids all the time who see them in that environment, who they love kids, but they'll never love your kid the way that you do. And so when they do give that information, whether it's because they care about them, they're looking out for them, or they're annoyed with them, they're still sending a message and it's coming from a place of, look, we don't want your kid being a, a jerk or we don't want your kid um, getting the ramifications later on in life for this. So I think that's a really good point, Jennifer. What do you think then we need to do to make sure that parents and kids and educators too uh, really understand the like what bullying is and, and how to prevent that? What's the next step then? Well, I think um, anything that you want kids to know, you have to intentionally teach them. Um, just like when my teachers are like, well, they should know how to do X, Y, and Z by sixth grade. I'm like, but did you teach them how to yet? Because if you haven't taught them how to yet, you can't hold them accountable for what might or might not have been taught in the past. Yeah. So in terms of schools, you know, um, the overemphasis on the word bullying needs to stop and an overemphasis on kindness and empathy needs to start. There's a lot of um, social emotional curriculums out there that I've used. Um, you know, second steps is, is 
considered the best one, but are we intentionally teaching it? Is every teacher in the building on Monday teaching lesson one and then holding the kids accountable to the lessons that they were taught? As a school, as an administrator, are we sending what was taught home to the parents? Are we sending resources of, hey, if you're seeing this at home, here are some places that you can reach out to. Um, and, you know, service learning is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, I think that even kids that, you know, can be very mean, um, they all want love. They all want the ability to feel like they have some sort of empowerment. Um, as a school, as a community, are we doing activities together that empower and help the community be a better place? Um, I worked at a building once where we had a group of our like, you know, bully kids, the ones who were always in trouble. Um, one Saturday a month, they were required in lieu of suspension for their behaviors to come into the school and we put them on a bus and we took them somewhere in the community and they volunteered for six hours once a month. And that's when they started seeing changes in their behaviors and their personalities because now they were helping people. Um, so I think kind of an emphasis on what can we do that's positive as opposed to what can we do to get revenge for <laughs> or justice for the negative. And, you know, I think that's that's got to be a focus on um, the same way we would, we would teach kids their times tables. We have to teach them how to be friends. We have to teach them how friends speak to each other. We have to teach them how you can disagree respectfully um, and how to choose what to care about. You know, it, maybe people do say things about you behind your back you have the the power and the authority to choose what you care about. I mean, I have a history of bullying myself. So like that, that's a hard lesson to learn that people are allowed to say what they want, even if it's terrible. But you, once it's out there in the world, you have the responsibility to figure out what you're going to do with it. Are you going to hold it in your heart forever? Are you going to let it hold you back? Are you going to use it to like fuel success? Are, are like, what are you going to use it for? Yeah, that's really powerful. And I, and you talk a couple of times, you've talked about modeling. Do you think the adults in the building are properly equipped to use these same kind of empathetic kindness skills too? Are they using them? Um, well, I think, so if you look at the research, right? Like, um, I, I forget what the number is, but there's like 63% or something of students feel that they've been bullied by a teacher. Um, so I think, you know, like that depends on your teaching staff, that depends on your context, um, that depends on the behaviors the students are displaying, the supports that the teachers have in place. Um, I personally think that it is extremely important as a school community to be intentional about making sure that every student has a trusted adult. Um, when I was at the high school, we did this survey of the students, um, I can't remember what it was for. Um, it was an equity survey. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions had the students identify a trusted adult within the building. And um, we had the school counselors, you know, create lists and match them up. And, you know, if a student was struggling, that's who they brought in with them to talk to the kid. Um, and then we also were able to identify who had no one. Yeah. And now you can intentionally reach out to that kid. Now you can intentionally create um, social emotional learning groups with your school counselors be like, okay, here's all the kids who don't have a trusted adult. What do they all have in common? Oh, gee, they all happen to like, I don't know, anime or comic books or this particular video game. Maybe every Friday we bring this group of kids together in a room and, you know, get them some form of intentional connection. But if you are not reaching out and finding that information, you can't do anything with it. Right. Uh, that's, 
So important. I love that because we could easily talk about the loneliness epidemic. We could easily talk about isolation and how that leads to terrible mental health for these kids long-term. So I appreciate that so much. Is there anything else that you think that we're missing from this conversation? Well, um, I was reflecting last night and um, I didn't know if um, it was going to come up about like personal bullying, but like people have asked me before, you know, if I was bullied and I almost always go back to high school, my freshman year of high school. So um, it happened to be the year Forrest Gump came out, right? My name is Jennifer, right? Jenny. Okay. I, in October of my freshman year of high school, got Bell's palsy. So half of my face was paralyzed and um, couldn't really talk, had to have an eye patch because I couldn't blink, like you know, drooling. It was not good, right? <laughs> the year that Forrest Gump came out. Oh my goodness. Okay? So I, you know, you know, all the imitations of Forrest's voice, you know, down the hall. I thought Forrest was the dump, like the whole nine, right? But in retrospect, I don't think that was the start of it. Um, I, I can reflect back and think about, you know, middle school, there was some mean girl stuff that went on. Um, in fifth grade, there was, I, I vividly remember being at a pool party for a, a friend's birthday in the summer, and I had had really, really long hair. And I cut it short into a bob and um, everybody was like, oh my God, your hair, whatever. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I like it. Do you guys think it's too drastic? And for like three months, they bullied me for using the word drastic. Unbelievable. And like, yeah. And, and it's like, what is that? And then it goes back to second grade. Like, so like, okay, in mm. second grade, I have vague recollections of, you know, having a birthday party with all the classmates scheduled, you know, it's before you really have close friends or whatever, you invite the whole class. Mm -hmm. a, a new girl had come to the school and she purposely told other kids not to go to my birthday party. And um, I was kind of reflecting on that and thinking like, you know, I'm a big Law and Order SVU fan, right? Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Olivia, Olivia Benson all the time says, you know, victims are often re-victimized. And uh, I looked into that and, you know, I was thinking, you know, bullying victims are also kind of re-victimized because, you know, high school, that was a thing. And then, you know, um, as a teacher, I was bullied by other teachers. As an administrator, I've been bullied. Like, you know, in my in my former marriage, <laughs> there were bullying aspects. And I started thinking about like, why is re-victimization, why does it happen, right? So I think um, there's also sort of like a vibe that you can put out into the universe. So we talked about the advantage that society creates for bullies, right? Right. So if you are a threat to someone's advantage, if you are an advantageous target, Right. And one of the articles I, I read talked about, you know, if you're a 12th grader, you're not going to bully a first grader because there's no advantage and it makes you look weak. And you're not going to bully, you know, somebody who's in college because that makes you look kind of pathetic, like you're chasing something. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a 10th grader who is the captain of the team that you're on, that there's something to gain from by victimizing. So I think that there are people who put a certain vibe out into the world that might threaten other people's you know, climb up the ladder or advantage. I was a kid who didn't really need friends. I mean, if I'm being frank, I was just as content doing a puzzle or coloring than being invited to a birthday party. And I was unbothered by that. Other kids seeing that might be like, is she unbothered by that? Does she have some kind of weird, am I supposed to be like that? Mm -hmm. um, why does she use vocabulary like drastic in fifth grade? It's because I read like a book a day, right? 
Mm-hmm. Why, why, why does she sound smart? What, what is she, you know? And like, why, why is, why is she the one that was put on the school leadership team meet? You know, why, why is she the one who was, and I think that when you have that kind of independence, when you have an independent vibe, it does kind of paint a little bit of a target on your back. Um, and you have to be the one who decides what you do with that. Right. So, um, for a long time, I lived kind of like out of spite, right? So like people people didn't want me to succeed, so I'm gonna do it out of spite. Mm. Once you start doing it for yourself, it's this kind of freeing moment. So instilling some of those qualities in kids, right? Do what you want to do, achieve your goals through intentional steps. Um, if people are naysayers, you know, you choose whether or not you listen to them or not. Um, there's a kid at my school who a couple of months ago, I saw him in the lunchroom. I didn't see his face. I wish I had, (laughs) um, he was wearing a sweatshirt and on the back of the sweatshirt was printed, um, never trip over or trip out over something that's already behind you. Hmm. I think that's, that's an important message, right? So I tell kids in my office all the time, like, do you know what it means if people are talking about you behind your back? It means you're standing in front of them. If you make the conscious choice to turn around and engage, you're moving backwards. So teaching kids, you know, goal attainment, goal setting, um, positivity, um, those are the important things because you can punish bullies all day. Okay. I mean, you can suspend them. You can throw them out of school. You can, you know, you can do all of those things, right? Is that going to change the bully's behavior? Probably not as long as the societal advantages still exist, it might stop them targeting you specifically, but is it going to stop that behavior in them as a person unless they consciously decide to stop it? Probably not. So, I mean, what can we do to instill confidence in kids to where the bully stuff doesn't bother them as much because they're so focused on themselves and their own goal as opposed to what somebody else is saying about them, feeling about them, manipulating about them, so on and so forth. Like I even think about bosses, right? I've had a boss who (laughs) was not the best, who was a bully, you know, and um, I chose to leave that environment. But I mean, our kids can't choose Mm -mm. to leave. They can't choose to leave school. No, Um, they can't. And that's why a lot of them avoid when something's going on or they act out, right? As we know. Wow. And you have a, you have a blog about this. You, you have a blog, right? Or not just about this. I know it's about other things. Can you tell me about that? Um, Sure. So um, kind of during COVID, I was going through a lot. Um, I was going through my divorce. It was like a very weird, traumatic thing. Um, I deleted all my old blogs, all about like teaching and education and just kind of started writing about perseverance and um, survivorship, right? And um, yeah. and doing hard things. And I think that um, when you go through hard things, um, you can let a couple of things happen to you, right? You can be hard, um, you know, hardened and cynical, or you can, you know, thrive. And so, I mean, I kind of made that um, kind of a focus. And I, I write about a lot of weird <laughs> things that are not necessarily related to education, right? I think I think my last post was about um, how teaching and education in general is like being in a monastery, a medieval monastery. Um, oh, and yeah. I've, yeah, I've written about cliques and, you know, I've written about what it's like to survive really difficult things. Um, 
public <laughs> divorce. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's not, um, it, it's just kind of whatever strikes me at the time. Um, I'm currently, I just started, I mean, it takes me months because I'll write like a paragraph at a time here and there when the mood strikes, I'm not focused about it at all. Um, but right now I'm writing about kind of um, embracing um, as a school community, embracing the quote weirdos, right? Um, I think a lot about, uh, <laughs> I think, I think, I think, I think a lot about the staff room, right. And, and staff meetings and PDs and who's leading them and what they say. Um, I was kind of an introverted person. I'm an introverted leader. I can be social, but I prefer not to. <laughs> um, and, and so I think about, you know, when somebody comes into the staff room, Hey, did you see the Notre Dame football game yesterday? They just kind of have this assumption that everybody likes sports. Mm-hmm. If we flipped that script and I walked in and I said, hey, did everybody see the Bolshoi Ballet's new Swan Lake rendition this week? People <laughs> think that was crazy, right? So like, who do you alienate just by doing that, right? So like, mm -hmm. if every time you give a presentation, all your analogies are sports related, who do you alienate? Um, if your art teacher in the building is not really into any of that stuff, who are you alienating? Um, I saw a meme somewhere online about um, we, we talk all the time about what introverts need to do to um, to adapt. But do we ever call extroverts out and say, hey, could you be quiet? Right. That's right. <laughs> I, mean, we, I mean, we never do. And like we talk about like all the teacher hate for like icebreakers and stuff. What I, I, I don't think it's hate for the activity. What I think it is is saying look, you're asking me to be extroverted. You're asking me to do this, you know, cooperation thing or whatever as a team builder, but are you ever going to do it my way too? So like you ask me to meet you halfway, but when have you met me halfway? Mm -hmm. It's funny you say that, Jennifer, because I've thought years about all of this. And one of the things I do when I work with staff is I will do an activity that completely, and a lot of people will love it, and I know some people would hate it or some people don't want to do it. So I always say, listen, you can still just be a, you can be the observer. So you can participate, but now you're the observer. You can, you can choose, you get to choose. And I think we need to learn to do that with our kids in the classroom too, because it gives them a sense of agency without giving them all that power behind it, that our society hasn't taught them to use properly. Like use your voice, but let's teach you how to use your voice or let's teach you agency, but it doesn't have to be that you get to have your way all the time. So there's little things that we can infuse into daily practice like that, but also with leadership staff. And that's why another reason I love your blog is you do like all of the things that you've written about is, is it can be infused into what we do every single day as human beings in your role with as parents, um, as a para lots, right. As kids. So I really hope people go there and I have a lot of leaders in education who listen to this and they would benefit from reading what you have. Your perspective is great. I appreciate it. And I know not everybody will agree <laughs> with everything you say. And I say, so I appreciate, I truly appreciate your voice and leadership there. Can you tell people where to go to find your blog? Sure. MissJHart.com. Um, it, I wouldn't, um, necessarily expect <laughs> frequent updates, but, you know, occasionally every few months I'll finish something. Um, I will say thinking about what you were just saying, um, PJ Capozzi's new book. I don't know if you've read it about, um, mm. coaching. um, I bought it because I thought it was about instructional coaching. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was about sports coaching, oh, but wow. I, I, but I still learned a ton. 
And one of the um, chapters, he talks about a, a basketball coach who does three different kinds of practices, right? So like drills um, that um, the kids lead, drills that the assistant coaches lead, and like he sets up these scenarios and watches. And I thought, you know, how intentional, like as leaders, do we intentionally observe how our employees are acting during our quote icebreakers or PD? Because if we are, then we learn a lot about our people, right? So like we learn yes. a lot about who are the introverts, who are the ones who are kind of on the sidelines and don't say much, but when they do speak, they have something really profound to say, who are the ones who are dominating the conversation? Because if we're using those activities in an intentional way, and then we're transparent with our staff about why, how can that change how that feels? Yes. And those kids who might be extroverted typically and want to participate, but for some reason that day or that moment, they they can't or they don't really want to and to honor that. Or that that staff, like that staff might have just got yelled at by a parent and then has to now has to come to your PD session and try to be energized and engaged. Right. So it's giving them um, the respect. It's really equity. It's inclusion, equity. It's all that. But it's really about it goes back to kindness, doesn't it? It does go back to kindness. Yeah. And and so you mentioned equity. So this is something that I brought up to our um, our district has an equity, inclusion and diversity um, committee. And this is just a pet peeve of mine. So I don't know if there's any listeners out there that are PD speakers, keynote speakers, whatever. It is a pet peeve of mine when I am at a presentation and the presenter says, everybody can hear me, right? I don't need the mic. And then they don't use the mic. I am not hearing impaired, but my hearing is not the best. Okay, mm -hmm. um, My ex-husband was a punk rock musician. I spent 20 years in punk rock venues. My hearing is not great, especially in a gym that echoes, right? So why should it be on me to raise my hand and say, I can't hear you. Please use the mic in front of a thousand other people. Hmm. And why should you assume as the speaker that there's no one in that room who's not hearing impaired? I can't tell you the number of times that I've been at a presentation and I'm sitting there, right? I'm working on my stuff. I'm waiting for it to start. The person has already had that conversation 10 minutes ago about like, I don't need the mic, right? They've started. They're well on their thing. And I'm just, I've missed it. Mm -hmm. And it's so frustrating. So like, um, who can you embrace? It, it's like we talk to teachers about preemptively planning for the student misconceptions. As a speaker, can you preemptively plan for the person in the room who has really bad eyesight, who cannot read that crazy font? Have you preemptively planned for the people who are hearing impaired who will not hear you without a microphone? Have you preemptively planned for the people who, um, you know, need to get up every hour or so just to stretch their legs? Um, have you planned in breaks? Have you planned in, you know, a shift in the activities? Have you preemptively done those things? Because I view it as an equity issue, not even as an engagement issue. I can't engage if I can't access. Mm -hmm. It's a great point. And it, it's a great point to talk about all that, about modeling and going back to just consideration as a, for other people, which will help the entire school community shift and it'll help society shift. And it's got to start with our schools. Well, it's got to start at home and then it's got to continue with our schools. And then that partnership's important, in my opinion. Um, and I appreciate you being here so much, Jennifer. If I hope people can go to that page or do, do you want them to reach out to you or how do you want to connect with people? 
Well, um, so I'm on Twitter. Oh, I guess it's not called Twitter anymore. <laughs> at, right. <laughs> at, at Miss J Hartman. If people want to send me a message, you know, I'd be happy to talk. You know, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Jennifer Hartman. Um, just search me up. Um, I've got a lot of interests, you know, in terms of professionally. Um, I love to collaborate with people. Um, I'm currently working on a project trying to work with Illinois Principals Association for first-time administrators for like monthly drop-in sessions. So mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of, you know, uh, opportunities, I guess, to um, reach out. Um, I love conversations like this, even if it's just like, you know, a one-time thing. If you want to strategize, if you want to brainstorm, if somebody has a PD, they're like, hey, look at these slides. Do you think they make sense? Um, I love to do stuff like that. I love to interact with other professionals. I love to hear about other people's contexts um, because sometimes uh, hearing about what's going on in other people's schools can kind of spark inspiration. So if you ever want to hear about Memorial Junior High School or the cool stuff we've got going on, please reach out. Yeah, there, there are. And I do hope they connect with you on Twitter because it's a good, that's a good place to, uh, a lot of educators and leaders are on there too. So not that I'm affiliated with Twitter to say that, but just so many like-minded people of us kind of gather there. So it's, it's been nice connecting. Okay. Well, I appreciate everything that you brought to this today. It is an important topic and thank you for being here, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me and have a great day and have a great rest of your winter break if you're still on break. <laughs>